This week on the Boag World Show, we're joined by Harry Roberts to discuss his career as a developer and how it has evolved over the years. This week's show is sponsored by Resource Guru and the Digital Project Managers School. Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag and joining me on this show, as always, is Marcus Lillington. Hello, Marcus. Hello, Paul. How are you today? Seeing I haven't spoken to you for such a long time. Well, yeah, we did one <laughs> yesterday, didn't we? So we seem to be on a little roll. I've had a good day, actually. I've spent a day of gardening. Um, really? But, well, <laughs> a, a mixture. It was one of those... Half a day of gardening, half a day of debugging Gutenberg in, in WordPress. You know, as you do, really. You know, yeah, that's what, what gardening can you do in February? Yeah, it's not a lot. Well, you see, that's Harry. Oh, sorry, by the way. Hello, Hello Harry. Harry. <laughs> sorry. I, oh, I, hey, I, Yeah, I forgot because we've been chatting, hey, for, chatting for a little <laughs> while. I forgot I hadn't actually introduced you. Um, yeah, so we've got Harry Roberts joining us um, on today's show. I was doing prep work. Um, because we've got these, uh, when we renovated the house, we got like a base garden put in place, you know, the kind of the, the hard stuff. And then, um, so I've been laying out irrigation systems, setting Ooh. out beds, that kind of stuff. I didn't think you did that sort of thing at all, Paul. You're just out there and Kath is going, do that, and now do that, yeah. and do that. That's what's <laughs> happening, isn't it? <coughs> actually, actually, in this rare instance, no. I've discovered, I've discovered I quite enjoy it because it, you know, unlike Harry, I, I, I'm not brave enough to take up cycling where, you know, you injure yourself. So gardening is a little bit of outdoor time without the, the option to seriously injure yourself. You see, that's, that's it's a bit of good, honest, proper work is what that is. Yeah, I know. Right. I was digging and everything. That's excellent. And I it mean, was raining. I was out in the rain doing I, it. I am genuinely impressed, Paul. <laughs> I don't say that very often. No. But to be fair, <laughs> I am the whole approach to my gardening um, is, is the same approach as I use for development, right? Which is do it once and then never have to revisit if you could possibly get away with it. So it's like everything, you know, everything, <clears throat> irrigation systems, so, um, you know, black, um, the black matting down so weeds don't grow up. You know, I want to set this up and then walk away. Yeah, with my. Don't just tarmac the whole thing. Well, out the front, believe it or not, um, we've we've put down resin. I don't know whether you've ever come across this stuff, but it's it's a bit like tar- I can, no. This is not turning into gardener's frigging world. I'm not getting into this conversation. <laughs> no, but you've moved on to your front front space. That's not a garden. Very exciting. Very exciting. Anyway, um, I want to do just a little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Um, I've been I've having some really interesting conversations in Slack recently um, where I've become increasingly aware or thinking about how the way that we're con- people are consuming content, especially as digital professionals, is changing quite a lot. We used to all follow certain blogs and things like that. We just don't have time for that kind of thing anymore. It's time. It's hard even finding time to read stuff. Uh, and it, it, that reminded me that I've never really taken a lot of time to promote Digital Insights, which is the other podcast that I do. 
right? Everybody knows about Boag World. Digital Insights is basically um, audio versions of my blog posts. So if you don't have time to read them because you've got 20 gazillion other things to do, but you commute or you go to the gym or something like that, and you want to listen to my podcast, which is obviously doubtful, um, then you can do so, um, uh, uh, my blog posts, you can, you can access them um, online. So if you go to baragworld.com forward slash digital dash insights, you can find out about that. But anyway, Harry, hello. Yes, sir. Hello. How are you? Are you, uh, are you recovering nicely after your, your incident? Slowly but surely recovering. Yeah. I um. Yeah, well, like you mentioned, I'm dressed a bit, a very casual uh, attire today. So I was at physiotherapy this morning. Um, yeah, I just uh, just recovering very slowly but surely. It's kind of optimistic outlook, but it's just been a boring four weeks. Yeah. I've not been able to work. Well, I've opted not to work, which is which was nice for the first few days. But then after a week, I was just going a bit crazy. I mean, so this is um, one of the scary things, isn't it? This is the the dread of any freelancer, where suddenly you're in a position where you can't really work, you know, and there's nobody paying your salary. So uh, did you, uh, have you, you, I presume are a sensible man and had, you know, a war chest behind you. Did you, for that's allowed you to take. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, um, I'm, I'm a business of one. So the only outgoings I've got is my salary. I don't really have, if I'm not working, I don't have flight costs, et cetera. Mm. So I've not really had any business expenses while I haven't been working. I've had to pay myself a salary out of kind of reserves rather than out of just cash flow. But it's it's one of those things where um, a sensible thing, save for a rainy day. Yeah. And it's been 28 rainy days now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a gift and a curse. I was explaining this to someone. I'm really fortunate that I can just choose not to work for this month because of an injury. Um but then the flip side is, yeah, I haven't earned any money no. in 2019 so far. Yeah, uh, which isn't a, which isn't a major concern because um, I, I I'd say my business is a lifestyle business. And I don't really have monthly targets to hit. But um, it's been it's been interesting, mm. just kind of watching the bank account just going down only by a little bit, but going down yeah. rather than up is is not the way it should be going. Well, ha- and Harry, it, what what what's happened? I don't know what's happened other than you've got a hole in your beard. Oh, the. <laughs> oh, so um, uh, 4th of January, I was out. So I do a lot of mountain yep. biking. Uh, well, a lot of cycling in general, but uh, this is specifically a mountain bike thing. I was at a trail centre, and I just had a bit of a crash. So I went over the bars, down like a jump thing that I'd mistimed, um, broke my elbow, lost consciousness, cut my face Ooh. open. Uh, it was pretty exciting. Got to go... Um, <laughs> yeah. Ambulance down to uh, down to hospital, got all uh, stitched up and sort of put in a cast. But yeah, it was um, it was actually a pretty brutal crash. They had to send a thing called. Um, actually, this is mad. This is really mad. I was sat at the side of the trail. My body temperature had gone down to like thirty four degrees, and they were starting to panic. And they kept saying, "Right, we need to get the heart team out." Wow. And I was thinking, well, one, surely you'd say cardio team, not heart team. And two, what the hell's wrong with my heart? Why do you keep saying heart team? <laughs> yeah. It turns out the heart team was, it's, it stands for hazardous area response <laughs> team. And they were, they were set up after the 7-7 bombings. They're like, if a building collapses or, yeah, a tube gets blown up or whatever, that's, they, were, they were invented for this. Because um, I was in the middle of the woods, in the middle of a forest, they couldn't get an ambulance to me. So I had to scramble the heart team. And they sent a big six-wheel drive buggy to kind of get me out of there. 
But the problem is the heart vehicle is so um, expensive to scramble. They send a film crew along with it so they can flog the footage <laughs> to uh, 999 Rescue Team. Fantastic. So I'll be on TV. I'm going to be on TV with this thing. It'll be loads of people with legitimate, like, a mining incident or you know, a pile-up on a motorway and just some Muppet who fell off his bike. Just five-minute interlude in the programme. Fantastic. So, yeah. Well, I, I was, uh, was going to think I was going to do a one-up on you with um, uh, mine and Paul's um, co-director at Headscape, Chris Scott. He's oh, yeah. on cycling, and he came off his bike and broke his hip, and he was out for three months. But he just he thought he could still cycle. It wasn't like he needed a heart team. He wasn't on telly. Yeah, it it broke him badly <laughs> for ages. But yeah, he just fell off his bike and thought, "Oh, that's a bit smart, bit of a smarting thing." And then thought, "Oh no, it's worse than that." But that was it. Yeah. See, it's dangerous. No, a, a, Exercise. A not cool. Exercise dangerous. I keep saying it. But what it does, it does raise just dragging it vaguely back to the topic of, of uh, you know, what we do for a living. Um, it does raise an interesting question over things like, I mean, do, do either of you guys have, you know, like critical illness cover? You know, in case you get, you know, seriously ill, something like, you know, a heart attack or something like that. Because, I mean, it's pretty important, isn't it? You know, when you're you're responsible for your own income. Yes. Short answer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm insured. So um, I could have, I mean, my insurer is great. Um, I don't know if I can. Yeah, plug It's with Jack, right? And if you're an independent, if you're an independent sort of freelancer, with Jack is who you should use. Uh, but they actually got in touch proactively and said, hey, we just saw you had an accident. Just so you know, you are covered for this. <gasps> so you might be able to claim for like some earnings. And I, I declined because I was like, do you know what? It's only a month out. I'd rather not have the paperwork and the increase in my premiums and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I'm insured up to the eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. We've, That's I've, really I've, good. I've got crit- critical illness insurance uh, sort of personally. And both Chris and I have got key man on each other now. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Which is very sensible. Yeah, it basically means that because neither of us want to carry on without the other one, so it kind of basically mm. kind of you know allows for one person effectively to die. This is quite morose, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and on that happy note, uh, let's talk. But about it else. is. But this is the precisely the kind of thing that doesn't get talked about, you know, and yeah. it's an important thing when you're running your own business, you need these kinds of things in place. So, mm. but yeah, let's, let's move on. I would agree. <laughs> um, we'll move on and we'll talk very briefly about the digital project manager school, which is our first sponsor. And then we'll do some questions with, with Harry. Um, so the digital project management school is basically an online digital project management course. Um, that they run something called Mastering Digital Project Management. Um, so they offer different versions of the course, which is not something that I, I realized before um, sitting down to write the show notes for this week. They have a basic version, a standard version, and an extended version. So um, depending on the level of support that you, you're looking for. So, um, for example, one of the benefits of the extended course is you get one-to-one coaching sessions as well as an, uh, the normal kind of instructor-reviewed assignments. So it really allows you to to chat with somebody and spend time looking at your very specific problems. Um, So in addition to those kind of assignments, um, you also get things like peer-reviewed assignments where other people can um, input into them and the people you're on the course can discuss stuff together, which is nice. Um, So there are very few online courses that offer um, that kind of level of support. Normally, you know, they're a go away and learn something. 
Um, And uh, so keep an eye out for the next course. um, And you can do that by going to theprojectmanager.com forward slash Boag World. Ben in the chat room has just made the worst (laughs) Harry accident joke I've ever seen, which is apparently, (laughs) apparently Harry is now a class. Harry uh, dash flying float equals none. That is so sad. That is a real techie (laughs) joke. Right. It's true though. I feel like I need to watch this footage now, but I'm supposed to be recording a podcast. I'll have to watch it afterwards because everybody's going on about it. No one was listening. No one was listening to that uh, sponsor slot at all. (laughs) Blind bit of notice to the sponsor (laughs) slot. Right, that's it. Okay, I'm now copying and pasting the URL of the sponsor into the the sponsor uh, into the chat, and you have to click on it. Right? Okay, <laughs> let's talk about Harry. So, Harry, for those who don't know you, yes. or for your let's no, let's do the mum thing. Marcus did the, the, this question, worded it in an interesting way. I think it was in the last show. How do you describe what you do to your mum? Um. Uh, so, my mum's pretty good, because she actually tries really hard to understand what I do. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, you're auntie. But, um, I just... To anyone who... Okay, if I don't want to bore somebody with the details, nowadays it's really easy. I just tell people, I help companies make their websites faster. Right. It's as simple yeah. as that. And if anyone is interested, I can I can go into further detail. But with my focus on web performance in the last couple of years specifically... Describing what I do is way simpler. Yeah. Telling when I used to do a lot of CSS architecture consultancy, it start with think about what eBay looks like. <laughs> now I write the code that makes a thing look like that, and yeah. yeah. So I just make websites faster. Now I didn't know that. I, so you mainly focus on performance these days. Yeah, I'd say a very conscious decision about two years ago was to move slowly away from doing the hardcore, full-on CSS architecture work. Uh, and focusing on on front end performance, right? Um, there's a few motives behind that. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, t- but it was a, t- tell us a little bit about what what brought about that decision to move. Um, I've been doing this now. I've been a developer professionally for nearly 11 years, mm-hmm. and the majority of that was spent focusing very heavily on CSS, mm-hmm. um, which was. Super enjoyable, very fulfilling, and I managed to kind of make a bit of a name for myself in doing that. Um, but then it kind of got to a point where I was getting a little bored of it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as meaningful for businesses. Um, it was one of those things where, yeah, a business would benefit from having better quality CSS, but it's not going to put more zeros on that company's bank account, right? It's not really going to do, it's not going to have a tremendous impact. Yeah. Um, so kind of to scratch my own itch of wanting to just diversify a little bit. Uh, to actually wanting to get a little more um, business-facing with my work rather than... Mm -hmm. um, So traditionally with CSS stuff, it'll be an engineer would email me and they would get some budget from their manager and we'd just do like a very developer-focused body of work. Uh, But nowadays what I find is I'm more likely to be in front of the CFO and the CEO of a company talking them through, here's the bottom line, here's how performance is going to affect your your business, Uh, here's how I can help that. And then I'll get the fun bit with the engineers just hacking around and making it faster. So that's, I mean, that's one of the motives. But there's also other stuff like for me personally as a developer, it's just fascinating to be able to measure things that forensically. Yeah. Um, so I think CSS is very qualitative, whereas web performance, very quantitative. So I can definitely say, hey, 
this body of work got that website 2.6 seconds faster. Yeah. And that's um, so. With this bit, we can probably get it to three. That's so nice. So, for the kind of designer equivalent, it's the difference between working on a university website where all the calls to action are a little bit woolly and, you know, and, and unmeasurable compared to working on an e commerce site where you know, aha, I've increased conversion by 0.2% and that's, you know, generated this amount of additional revenue. It's more satisfying, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And it just also means that you can have more serious conversations with clients about what the sign of a successful project might be or how they want to track success. Uh, whereas going in and saying, oh, you'll have, you'll have better quality clear fixes. Yeah. I mean, who cares? No one's going no to pony up the cash for that. No. Right? So it's, uh, it's been a really interesting and very fulfilling sort of transition over the last couple of years. I still get, I still do a lot of CSS work. I still get a lot of inquiries for my CSS work. But my conscious kind of move has been towards general front end performance. That, yeah. Does that limit you only to e-commerce? Um, I'm just thinking. Obviously, it's, a, it's an no. easy sell to, to an e-commerce provider. Um, that if you know perform, greater performance means you know, better, I, I guess to a certain extent, fewer abandoned carts and that kind of thing. But. So you're absolutely right. The predominant use case, the the biggest kind of client base is going to be e-commerce or anyone who makes money online so uh for better or worse um the betting and gaming industry um so i actually i actually sort of started my serious development career at skybet oh uh, so i'm sort of paying off paying off a bit of moral debt for that i built the first version of skybet in 2011 um so that's a kind of company that would definitely but that's e-com right it's betting and gaming but it's making yeah. money online but did some work with um iPlayer okay. um, uh, yeah. about 10 months ago mm-hmm. and iPlayer um, what they wanted to measure was um, is there a correlation between improvements in performance and amount of content viewed mm. so minutes watched mm. uh, done some work with another streaming video provider on a similar thing so for them it was actually they weren't hoping to make more money they were hoping to retain more customers mm. hoping people would watch binge watch more series if the app was faster um and then it was an e-commerce client, but um, one of the biggest wins I had for a client was uh, reducing the amount of data they were sending over the wire by about 67%. Wow. <laughs> so that was a money-saving exercise yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than a money-making exercise, which ultimately leads to both, right? Because yeah. in saving that money, they made the site faster, therefore made that more. That could apply um, to lots and lots of people, though, couldn't it? The, the anything at scale. Yeah, so once, yeah. once you hit something that's yeah. uh, any kind of scale, that, that mm. money starts mounting up in terms of data. One of our... So I worked with... Oh, uh, really just a real quick one. I worked with Trainline in 2017. And Trainline, they've got a case study which uh, they managed to prove that improving performance by just 0.3 seconds led to an 8.1 million pound uptick in revenue. <laughs> so 300 milliseconds made them an extra eight point what I should have done and this is I really regret not doing this by making a site point three seconds faster dead easy so I should have said to them look if I get you that point three seconds yeah. can I just keep the point one mil <laughs> like, you have your eight mil I'll have the point one and we'll just call it call it a do I mean that's I, I didn't do that that's, that's, yeah, that's very much that's value based pricing yeah you know you're, you're I mean that would have been a, that would have been a bargain for them yeah yeah now that that's interesting because what that also leads on to is is by moving into this performance field you're not only is the sell easier to justify as you've said 
but you're also increasing your value to the organization, which is that having an impact on how much you can charge? Oh yeah. 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 It's been, it's been a good move. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, um, I do completely go for a value-based pricing approach. So I don't have a day rate. Uh, what I will do is a mixture of things, but, uh, if it's an e-com client, uh, I will just go on company's house, get a, get their last year's financials, look at their, um, e-com revenue and if it's a massive client such as squarespace who worked with them last year their their financials will be on tech crunch or something yeah. anyway uh and you'll just work out look um you turned over this much last year similar case studies have shown that we can get a two percent increase in revenue therefore if i know if i know we could theoretically make your financials look like this then i will charge you this amount i will leave happy you'll leave happy and then it's i've never had anyone push me back on price interesting you need to raise them a bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's it's there's got to be a ceiling somewhere and i'm not i'm not like um i live a fairly humble existence i don't need i don't want to get rich I, um, you say that but there's, I a bet, point, there's a point i bet your bike yeah, the only people fortune. who aren't rich say that yeah but i bet your yeah, how much did you spend me. on your bike i bet you've spent a lot yeah, yeah that, exactly yeah. See, now we get to the truth <laughs> anyway carry on but um but yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I could I could raise my prices, but then I think, honestly, I think that raising them for the sake of it is a bit of an exercise in greed. Yeah. Um, that's a very personal that's a very personal view. But unless I'm actually doing anything notably different for that client uh, that I wasn't doing maybe six months ago, then I'm happy to keep my prices. Just like I say, value kind of based pricing. And most clients have got a rough idea of what they want to spend anyway. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll grab a rough budget from them, like a gut feel of. Out of these three numbers, which one are you most comfortable spending? Yeah. Whichever one they go for, I will then design a work package that suits them. Yeah. And because sometimes what happens is, I, I, it's only happened twice, but I've had to go back to a client and say, you will struggle to spend that much. Yeah. Like, that's too much mm-hmm. money. Like, well, there's not much we c- I can, I'll charge you half of that. We'll do loads of work and, you know, take a month off with what's left. Yeah. Because um, it's quite easy to top out. Um there's only so much you can do, and uh, more money doesn't always fix a lot of problems. So now that's okay. an interesting. It certainly helps. It's an interesting model because um, when I when I approach clients um, and I start talking about budget and money and that kind of thing, I normally they normally want me to go away and create three packages for them that they can pick between, or the, or pricing a load of different things that they can mix and match. You kind of go in with three different kind of levels and then say, which of those levels do you think would suit you the best? Is that, am I understanding you right? No. So oh. what I'll do is, um, uh, it's like similar, but I don't actually design any work packages. I don't go with three work packages. What I'll do is I'll say to a client, it's a standard question, actually. I'll ask all clients the same thing. Uh, how much money has the business provision for this engagement? Right. Brackets. If you're not sure yet, would you say it's closer to 5000 15,000 or 50,000 pounds. Yeah. Uh, and they will, they will have an immediate gut reaction. Like, oh my goodness, definitely closer to 5,000. Yeah. And then I know that there's no point selling them a six month consultancy package. Yeah. So what I'll do is if their gut feel is 5,000, I will say, well, for exactly five grand, you can have a workshop. If you can push it to seven and a half, you can do this. If you can push it to 12, we can do this. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's just that it's just a gut feel. Yeah. It's all I'm going for there, and then I'll price something that's sympathetic to whatever they've they've said. Yeah, that's the same um, same approach I take basically. So that's interesting, mine, because you you mentioned workshops. Then um, talk to me, talk to us about what your different kind of offerings are, because 
I know you do you do workshops. You do a lot of consultancy stuff, which isn't actually mm-hmm. producing stuff, but rather advising. One presumes. And do you do hands-on yeah, yeah. stuff as well? What's what's the mix? Um, pretty much exactly oh. as you've said. I think a really good case study for this would be um, I've been working with a wonderful, amazing client in Estonia for the past eleven months, maybe. Uh, and they got in touch. It was a really nice kind of organic kind of just the way it all came about has been perfect. They've been a wonderful client to work with. We were just having a, I, was, I spoke at a conference in Berlin and it was at the after party and I'd had just enough beers to be kind of a bit, a bit cheeky. <laughs> and this guy was like, oh yeah, I work for the world's first ever legal. He was very keen to stress the word legal <laughs> Bitcoin betting website. Ah. And I was like two or three beers in and I went, I can make that website faster. Right. And he was like, well, if you, if you can, then please do because we need it. So for them, we had, I, I basically interrogate my clients before we start working together because I need to understand exactly where they're going wrong, what they're proficient at, what they need mo- most support with. And we identified, yeah, there's just a skills gap in the, in the team. So we need some workshops just to try and teach people, here's how your dev tools works. Here's how the internet fundamentally works and why websites get slow in the first place. Um, Actually, before that, I did like a week remote audit. So this is part of the consultancy work where I'll just sit with a lot of coffee for a week and just tear down the site, work out exactly what's wrong, where the pitfalls are. Mm -hmm. That then leads to quite a large um, review document. I think the last one I wrote ran up to like 8,000 words. Mm. And that's basically me saying, if you want to terminate the engagement now, because what I'll do as well is I, I phase my work in terms of levels of commitment and spend and it always makes clients feel way more comfortable so i'll say look if you just want to pay up to this point you've got an eight thousand word document that you can go and you can implement this yourself however if you'd like to talk about further engagements get me on site for two weeks and i'll help your engineers implement it and because businesses are lazy and in in a good way they would much rather pay someone else to basically pay me twice (laughs) find out what's wrong tell us what's wrong but then fix it yourself anyway um They always leave happy with that. Uh, And then, so that on-site engagement, which has been going on on and off for like, you know, I'd say 11 months now, that'll be a combination of workshopping. So here's what, here's what I found. Here's what's wrong with the site. Here's how I found it. Here's how you can find it yourselves in future. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I'll do like a performance sprint backlog. So I'll take all that review document and I'll sit, I'll normally do it on my own, but I'll get input from the engineers as to, how much resource availability have we got? How much time have we got? Um, let's make this into an actual backlog. Quick wins, um, high impact, low effort stuff. Let's just do that in the week together. Then we'll draw up more of a strategic plan for transitioning the whole site from React to Preact, for example. That might be a six month body of work. So that's where the consultancy side comes in. Yeah. And then normally I'm the dumbest guy in the room. So it'll normally be the engineers who actually do okay, let's refactor this onto Preact instead of React yeah. because my job now is much more of a facilitator. It's my job to sort of spin plates with the business, sort of fight for you know, asking the CEO or the product owner, can we please have six weeks of this person's time? Can we have two weeks of this person's time? So it's my job to kind of assemble people smarter than me, I guess. Yeah, That's fascinating. Mm. Yeah, we work in completely opposite ends of the digital spectrum. You know, you very, well, not completely opposite. You're not, 
you know server architecture kind of level but you know your development i'm design yet that methodology you've just described from beginning to end is identical to the way that i work and we've both come to that completely independently even down even i know even down to what you're saying about you know you start with a small simple deliverable like running a workshop or doing an audit you know then then that then leads on to a strategy document or a report of some description that they can go away and implement then they come back to you and ask for help doing that and so it goes on mm-hmm. you know it, it exactly the same way that i work and clients love that they yeah. love that and also the other thing you said which i thought was really good is, is you talked about you did a you do a workshop um you show them what you found but also how you found it that whole thing of of knowledge transfer you know corny though it is is really really important that you know, the last thing you want from an outside consultant is to come in, sweep in with a load of, here's a load of things you can do now, go away and do it, mere mortals. You know, you actually mm-hmm. need to educate them and in, 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 raise the internal standard within the organization. If you can do that, clients absolutely love it. So, yeah. I mean, you should never need to call pest control twice, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's my job. I charge a premium because I know that ultimately I'm going to make myself redundant. Yeah. Um, I could quarter my day rate and just work in silence for six months or I could quadruple it and do two days work and leave that company self-sufficient. It means that I don't, I'm not tied down to one project for too long. Mm-hmm. It means that here's another thing as well. Um, I purposely avoided contracting so I will not do a six month no, engagement. Yeah. Because it's impossible, no matter anyone's intent, it's impossible to have six months worth of every day being productive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be sat twiddling my thumbs because a dev environment's down. I don't want to be twiddling my thumbs because the tech lead's gone on holiday for a week and it means that I'm bottlenecked. What I'd rather do is be much shorter engagements where I'm every single minute I'm in that office is effective because uh, the client can justify the spend. We get much quicker returns and I'm not tied down to the same project for longer than I'm comfortable with. Yeah. I'm very open about that with clients because I, you know, I want, I need them to trust me, know that I'm not going to rip them off. That's the reason why I do things like um, high impact, low effort things first, so Mm. that within the first few days of working together, the client will see results rather than me saying, "Oh, in six months' time, it will be faster." It's like, "Well, we're paying you, mate. We want it faster now." So yeah, I'm just very open about that stuff with clients because um, everybody wins in the end. I, it, with something like the 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 contracting thing as well, is that again you don't have that knowledge transfer element. You don't have that thing of, you know, I would much prefer to teach a client how to do it themselves than go in and do it for them. You know, and that's I, I do mentorship is one of the things where I work on a retainer with clients over a prolonged period of time, um, where, and and I make it very clear I am not going to produce anything for you right i'll point you in the right direction i'll talk you through how to do it but you're the ones doing the work not me and and i think that's healthy in my opinion i mean as that suits my kind of ethos and business model Mm. to a t that's exactly what i like to do and i feel like um somebody asked me something last year in december in a workshop and it's bugged me ever since it was just a throwaway comment but this guy in a workshop in poland he just asked me why i cared so much and I thought at the time he meant, why do I care about performance right. so much? And I was like, oh, well, it's good for business. And he's like, no, no, why do you care? So you get so impassioned yeah. when you talk. Why do you care so much? And I was like, uh, 
Bollocks. Where you're been preying on my mind for two months now. But it's because my ethos is that I, I enjoy teaching, I enjoy mm. sharing knowledge. Um, and someone told me, it's really kind of wishy-washy, but um, someone told me a thing like, um, a rising tide raises all boats yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, to my bet, I genuinely want a faster web and I want the web to win. I want the web to beat native. If I can do my own little bit to try and champion that, then I will. Conversely, I do not think there's anything wrong with being a contractor. No, uh, no, no. I'm very privileged in that. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm just aware that there could be people listening to this yeah. thinking I'm like looking down my nose no, at that. No, no, no. But it's absolutely not the case. I've got no dependents, no wife, no kids, no nothing like that. So I can afford to have uh, a slightly more sporadic workload, for example. Um, I don't value, at this point in my life, I don't value that consistency or that security. Mm-hmm. Um, as <laughs> soon as I decide to settle down, start a family, I can pretty much guarantee that my work style will have to change because, you know, you can't just do a month of not working when you've got kids looking not letting, you know, looking, looking to you. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it just suits me down to the ground at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I still maintain it and I've got kids and dependencies and mortgages and stuff like that. <laughs> so, but I get the impression you're very productive and you always force yourself to do work. Whereas if, as soon as I don't need to work, as soon as I get a whiff of, Oh, I've got a spare afternoon. I'll just go and ride my bike. I don't do three podcasts and mentoring and uh, yeah, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, Yes, I am. I am fairly productive. It is true that I don't tend. I, I, I'm as we've said on previous shows. I worry too much, so I'm always pushing. Which brings us brings us nicely onto the sales and marketing side because obviously I do the podcast and all these kinds of things from a marketing perspective. Where does your work come from? Um, I would say the lion's share of it. Easily, easily over ninety percent is just from my presence, if you will. Um, I've been blogging for ten years. That's been the single most valuable thing to my career and ultimately business is just having a blog. Yeah. Um, like it's absolutely nuts just how much that's transformed my life. Um, I don't write as much as I used to um, because I don't really need to anymore. But if you look back through my blog archives, there's I think in twenty thirteen I must have written an article a week. Mm. Um, just absolutely hammering it. So a lot of it comes from people already know who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rare that the CEO or the CFO or, or anyone like that will contact me. So normally it would be a developer who reads my blog or follows me on Twitter or who saw me at a conference. They will reach out to me and then I'll get put in touch with their CTO or CFO or whoever it is. Um, so nearly all the time it's going to be a line in to a business from a developer that I've somehow connected with whether that's they saw a blog post a conference talk a tweet something like that now you mentioned Um, you mentioned conferences there um do you still do a lot of that do you feel that that's an important part to to be out there because they don't always necessarily pay particularly well um but do you see them as a marketing opportunity um yeah i've got a really interesting relationship with conferences um most conferences I speak don't pay me at all. Yeah. Uh, I speak at community events and I will more than, I would say 75% of the time I don't get paid at all. Mm. But it's because if someone emails me saying, hey, do you want to come and speak at an event in Argentina? Yeah. We can't pay you, but we'll fly you here and put you in a hotel for five nights. I'm like, yep, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a bit too enthusiastic like that, uh, which led to, I think in 2017, I spoke at 32 events. 
uh, all around the world. Um, and that's on the side of like regular work. So it, it does get a bit much and it's the travel costs personal life quite, quite mm. dearly. But for me, it's a ton of fun. And then I don't think I actually get that much business from conferences. Ah. Um, I don't think I do. I mean, there's one particular event, which is mad. I spoke at a awards conference. Oh, yeah, I know. Like yeah. Hyper, the hyper-design-focused yeah, event. Yeah. They, they invited me to speak um, the very beginning of last year. So like, I think probably about 12 months to the day. And I said to them, look, are you sure you want me to speak? Because I'm a developer. Um, and you've got a very design-centric audience. Um, they're like, no, we definitely want you to speak. Um, so I said, okay, give me a, like, what would you like me to speak about? Because I'm guessing my normal talks might not be appropriate for this kind of crowd. Do you want me to kind of do a slant on web performance for web designers? And they're like, look, speak about whatever you want to speak about. Right. So I just kind of took the mick and I said, well, I'll do a talk about Vim, right, the text editor. <laughs> so I did a 25-minute talk on Vim to a room full of designers the most common bit of feedback I got is, I have no idea what you were talking about, but you seem to really enjoy it. <laughs> Which to me was like a nice compliment. Yeah. Um, a few people came up and said, I've heard of Vim, never knew what it was. I'm never going to bother using it, but at least I know what it is now. But this awards conference landed me my two biggest clients, certainly financially, ever. How so weird. The Estonian client and Squarespace were both in the audience. Uh, and they've been two of my biggest ever clients. Isn't it funny? Uh, so that was, that conference paid its, well, it just, it was worth, well, it was invaluable yeah. to me. Yeah. Other conferences, I'm less sure. Um, normally someone will say, hey, we saw your talk at so-and-so, we need that. So I did some work for NBC Universal this year, uh, sorry, last year, and they saw me at an event in, in London. But I think generally, I don't think conferences are, I can't necessarily draw much of a correlation between mm. business and, and conference appearances. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Michelle says, there's probably indirect benefits, but not necessarily, you know, sort of something directly coming out of it. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean... Go on. Oh, sorry, just to leap on that one really quickly. The indirect benefits, I think that's, that's exactly what it is. I've never thought about it like that, I don't think. But I reckon... You know when you see, like, there's a... Tesco Express on a corner and you know for a fact that Tesco Express makes a loss every single year but Tesco still wants to have that building so that Sainsbury's can't have it right yeah. and it's just that constant awareness of like just seeing the brand yeah. so I think for me being self-employed being on stage a lot just helps people yeah. remember I still exist even if they're not going to hire me like oh well, he's still doing performance work he's still yeah. out there he's still so I think maybe that's a big part of it it's more about brand aware personal brand awareness than it is about direct returns yeah i would totally agree it's the same reason i i chuck out a book every two to three years just to you know remind people that i exist um you know and i go to conferences you know take part in conferences etc again we have a very similar business model this is fascinating Mm. um so it sounds like um your work is kind of all over the place in terms of, of um, you know, what you might be doing at any particular time. Do you have any kind of yeah. routine in the way you work? Are there any, you know, are you a avid GTD or do you get up at five in the morning and meditate for three hours before you start work? Or do you, like do you, deal, do you deal with email <laughs> in one big weekly go? You know, what, anything like that? Um, so... 2018 was a really weird year for me. Um, 
and I feel like a lot of it just passed me by. It was it was good, and I could probably pinpoint good parts of it. But 2018 was like a year where I just thought, you know what, I'm I'm living too much of a lifestyle business, and I'm having probably too much fun. <laughs> so I've decided. I decided that um, yeah, I I don't deal with email. If something can be done in five minutes, you should just get it done immediately, right? Yeah. If it's going to take five minutes, just do it now. I'll have a five-minute email that will sit in my inbox for two weeks. Right. Because I'll be like, well, it's not urgent, so I'll get around to it. And it's just really, professionally, it's quite irresponsible, right? Um, unless someone's, unless it is urgent, I will just kind of leave it for as long as is comfortable. Uh, but also, it just means that, it means that if I was to tweak my lifestyle just a small amount, I would probably do more work but have more free time as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. I always feel like I'm constantly playing catch-up. I always feel like my expenses all add up and I've got to do like a week's worth of accounting yeah. or my email stacks up so I've got to spend a whole day doing email. And it just feels like I'm always just like, like not tech debt, admin debt. I'm always in admin debt. <laughs> so this year, and I've never done a New Year's resolution before, but this year I was like, Monday is email day, Friday is admin day. Yeah. Like I will just... If someone emails me on a Thursday night, I'm not going to stress because Monday is when I'll hammer on my email. Mm-hmm. If I have some expenses that I incur on Tuesday, I'll pop them in a folder and I'll do them all in one go mm. on Friday. And then I broke my elbow and I'm not done any work all year. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not happened yet. So yeah, I've, had, I've got no schedule, no routine. I can't have a routine because um, one week I might be completely have no work at all and I'll just spend the week playing out on my bikes. The next week, I might need to be in three countries back to back. Yeah. Um, mm. So that costs like uh, there's health penalties to that. You know, irregular sleep schedules. I could never even hope to join a gym uh, because I just couldn't be there. Um, I wanted to get back into basketball at some point in the last couple of years, but I just have to let down training buddies and say, look, can't make training, can't make this match. I'm going to be out of the country. Yeah. So it's, there's a load of downside to it. So I've tried to tease in a bit of. Um, uh, a bit of a bit of structure, which hasn't yet come to fruition. Right. But, yeah. But I mean, you know, the trade-off for the the lifestyle business has got to be has got to be a good one. I mean, it sounds like to me, you know, effectively you're working part time, but bringing in a full time salary is that a fair assumption? Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. That's but definitely a fair assumption. Even with thirty two. Speaking engagements last year, that doesn't sound like part-time to me. That was 2017. That was 2017. Uh, But yeah, I think last year was 26. So it's still half the year. Right. You know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I, if I, if I was to properly, if I cared enough, I could probably be quite wealthy because I could just work way more. Yeah. But what I'll do is I'll pick high quality clients, projects I can get behind I'll do less work, but more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And also, I just really enjoy being outside. I enjoy riding bikes. So if I can earn enough money to then have a really laid-back lifestyle, um, I'm going to optimize for that right now. Yeah. Until just while I while I can be selfish. Yeah. I, I reckon if I had Paul's or Rachel Andrews' motivation and productivity, then uh, I could be a millionaire, maybe. <laughs> but I've got no interest in that. I'd rather just I'd rather live a simpler life. You you are living Go. the dream, I would say. I would put forward. Um, uh, that's what most it's... people want. Most people aren't. Yeah, or they might say, "I want to win the lottery and that," but then earning a lot of money means a lot of hassle usually. Yeah. So yeah. this kind of like finding the right balance between doing the things I love 
at work and away from work is exactly what everybody dreams of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- you're not, not like, having I'm too not, much I mean, fun is where, where I was going with that. You can no have way. too much fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. And also there's other things like, um, uh, I don't want to get all like uh, too deep and meaningful, but I went through a pretty <laughs> severe, well, not severe, but a, a big breakup last year. Right. Largely brought on by the fact that I'm never around. Like, I might be at 26 events in a given year. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it does come at a, 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 at a cost. And which is why this year I'm like, well, I need to actually get a bit more sensible so that people around me aren't getting as affected so badly. Uh, but then also I'm thinking, well, now I'm single. I'll just take every event I want and I'll ride my bike twice as much. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm trying to reconcile, trying to reconcile that a bit. But um, I don't know. It's. I'm, I'm comfortable with the amount of work I do and the quality of work I do. I do work a lot, but I just don't work a lot as well. It, it, you know, and it also the lines between working and not working often get blurred when, when you do the kind of stuff we do. You know, it's like going to, to a conference, depending on the conference, doesn't feel like work um, because you're going into an exciting new place. You're talking for 40 minutes and then wandering around an exciting place for the remainder of the time. You know, to claim that that is work maybe is a bit of a stretch. But, um, yeah, exactly. you know, and, but then other things as well, even things like blogging some you know i uh, you, you go on about you know, oh, i'm you paul's so self-motivated i'm not really i just get excited about shit you know the same as the same as you do you were talking about your enthusiasm so I, I'll, I'll get into something and it'll be going round and round in my head and i write it down to because i'm excited about it because it's you know going round in my head very rarely when do i sit down and go oh i've got to write a blog post you know, so yeah. there is no, what I'm getting at is when you run a, a good lifestyle business, there is v- very blurry lines between pleasure and work. You know, they, they are interchangeable. Absolutely. And I, I make no mistake, and I'm very open about the fact that I am the luckiest guy alive. Like, I come from such a privileged position mm. that I can do this. And of course, I put in the groundwork and I spent seven years blogging before I struck it out on my own like I did I did put a lot of effort into getting here but now I'm here I've just got I don't know it's just a breeze it's just really really pleasant and I'm the luckiest guy alive Let- um, because yeah uh, I love my job I and uh, blog post is a perfect example I'll get a bit of a bee in my bonnet like I really want to write about this and I'll get into it and my friends are like what are you doing that's that's work I was like this isn't this is work but not really work right this is fun for me yeah and they're like yeah you need to get to the pub <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But you said something there about you, you spent seven years blogging before you began to see, you know, before you went freelance. And absolutely, I, I totally, as somebody that's been blogging for what, over 13 years now, um, you know, I totally understand that. That So many people, oh, we write a few posts, nobody reads it, and they give up. You know, you need to be doing it for yourself, not for, for you know, to change your world, even though it, it can do. But you, I'm quite interested at that point where you decided to go freelance, how did that happen? Tell us a little bit about when you made that transition. Um, so I, another really, really fortunate thing that happened to me is that when I was about 16, 17, I knew what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get funneled into the old mandatory degree that you had to pick when you were 17 and panicked. And I'm really fortunate I got into the industry nice and nice and early. So I think I got my first full-time job when I was just a few days after my 18th birthday. Um, that couldn't have been, that was 2008. 
So that couldn't have been a better time to get into the web yeah. uh, because knowing knowing border radius made you a genius. Yeah. Nowadays, you've got to know <laughs> React, GraphQL. Yeah. Um, so I was already like set up for success there. Um, I'd started blogging just the year before, so 2007 is when I bought my domain. Um, and other silly things like um, I didn't have to learn table-based web development because it's 2008 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people like yourselves have done great work to set me up there so I didn't have to learn any non-standard stuff. Um, so I had a fairly nice, comfortable on-ramp uh, which allowed me to... And then also, that was at a time when Twitter had like 10 people on it. Yeah. So it's quite easy to cement yourself as someone who, oh, he blogs and we're going to follow him. Honestly, I really, really feel for anyone trying to get into the industry now because it's saturated. Mm. Mm. So anyway, for years and years and years, I was just working at kind of agencies, wonderful places to work. But then my kind of professional big move happened when um, Skybet got in touch with me. Yeah. Uh, it turns out they, they knew who I was. They'd been reading my blog. And it turns out Skybet had a massive office right here in Leeds. Right. A couple of, maybe a kilometer away from my house. And at 20 years old, they offered me a senior position. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh my goodness, do they know what they're doing? Do they know what they're doing? I think I was 20, 21 years old. They offered me a senior front-end developer role. And I thought, do you know what? I, I've got like a moral obligation to just snatch this opportunity. Yeah. Like so many people would never get offered this. Mm. I can't waste it. And I took it and it was amazing. And I learned so... The biggest thing I learned is how much I didn't know. Yeah. That was the most <laughs> humbling experience. But then working at Sky, um, I, ended, I ended up being the lead front-end. Um, so I was kind of a bit... I don't want to say missold, but um, I was running the front end for skybet.com. Right. Um, backed up by a, an amazing team of software engineers, but it was, uh, and I was never out of my deck either. I was always quite proud of myself that I, I did sort of take it in my stride, but it was like a, mm. oh shit, that's like, this is big news. Mm. Um, but after a, several years at Sky, delivering some very, very high value projects, uh, a few things internally at Sky start to happen. Um, it was before tech, it was before developers got paid a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I tried to go for a pay rise to raise me from being underpaid to being paid the same as my peers. Mm-hmm. And I was told no. So I was like, well, do you know what? I'll, um, I'll start thinking about striking out alone. Um, I was getting speaking engagement in, in invites by this point. So I already knew that people beyond the shores of the UK knew about mm-hmm. me. I was getting inquiries for workshops, which I had to decline because I was like, well, I've got a full-time job and I can't do freelance on the side, so mm. sorry. But enough sort of cadence picked up with these invites that I was like, no, oh, maybe I could kind of switch this into a, a, a real full-time thing. And then here's one really key pivotal bit of advice that I would give anybody considering transitioning career. Uh, not career, but, you know, like yeah. career path. I was a senior member of staff, so I had a three-month notice period. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people panic at a three-month notice period, but a lot of people also don't realize that if your contract says a one-month notice period, that's a minimum amount. Mm-hmm. So you're still allowed to give three months notice. So what normally happens if someone wants to leave a job is on the quiet, they go for interviews. They tell their boss they're going to the dentist. They do. Yeah. You know, they have to sneak around. Then as soon as they get the job offer, then they have to put their notice in. Then they've got to work a month from getting the job offer. Right. Because I, had three, because I had three months' notice, if you can't get your act together in a quarter of a year, you've got some problems. Mm-hmm. So I just quit. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm handing my notice in. I'm, I'm leaving Sky in three months' time. And my lead was like, okay, well, what are you doing next? And I was like, I don't know, but I've got a quarter of a year to work it out. So it meant for the next three months, I didn't have to sneak around at job interviews. Yeah. I could just put on Twitter, I'm looking for a job. It meant that I could quite openly discuss this with... Not at work, that would be tasteless to actually discuss it with colleagues while they're still working. I, did, I, you know, I didn't 
I didn't. I wasn't disrespectful with it, but it did mean that I could have quite open discussions about what I wanted to do next with my career. And yeah, ultimately, I decided um, it's a bit of a cheesy thing, but I made two lists, mm-hmm. and I've still got a bit of paper somewhere because it's actually quite meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Just got a bit of paper, drew a line down the middle. On the left-hand side, I wrote, um, what can I provide, right? What can I do? And it was specific things like, I can do technical writing, I can do talks, I can do development, uh, I can run workshops, I'd done one by this point. And on the right-hand side was, what do I want? And not like, how much money do I want, but like, what do I want out of a job? Yeah. And I was like, well, I want to feel like I've made a difference. Mm-hmm. I want to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could, be a, it could be as superficial and specific as I want to travel. Yeah, but that's okay. And I just sort of... And I just sort of looked at these two lists and just sort of like, well, how do I join the dots? How do I turn what I can do into what I want? Mm-hmm. And that just happened to be short-term engagements, uh, public speaking for the travel aspect. Uh, and I managed to just fashion, I don't know, a pretty cushy little gig, really. Mm. Um, so it was, there was a lot of build-up. There was a lot of stuff that fed into it. Uh, a lot of it was good fortune, but a lot of it was premeditated, I guess. I, um, yeah, I mean, I, without a doubt, you had some amazing opportunities um, because of timing, etc. But that was ballsy. It was ballsy to, to hand in a notice on a job without anything solid to go to. Um, and I think that is a big jump for a lot of people. And, you know, you need to give yourself credit for that one at least out of the, out of the list. Um, and, great advice, and also, though. Oh, it is great advice. I, Absolutely. I think it's the, the fact that you were thinking about going doing so, doing something on your own. I guess most people sneak around thinking about uh, you know uh, going to interviews and that kind of thing because they're thinking of going to another employer. But yeah, if you're mm-hmm. thinking about going on your own, which I think is even more scary potentially, mm. um, we were kind of forced into it all those mm. nearly twenty years ago um, by being made redundant. Oh, well, yeah, we better set up a company right. then. Um, but so, so it's like no choice um but if you were going to choose to do that that's fantastic advice it's like almost yeah. like make sure you get three months notice yeah <laughs> so if you can add it to, yeah, your con- I, to your contract so i tell i tell people that all the time uh and, well i wouldn't i wouldn't get it written into your contract necessarily but your, your wording the wording of your contract will say minimum notice period of a month which means you can opt to give three yeah. now the company could be like well we know you're thinking of leaving so we're going to fire you with a month's notice which would be really scumbaggy but I don't know that's something you could be liable for but um, yeah. yeah the other thing is because I did decide actually quite early on in that first three I reckon it was in, within the first three weeks of that three months I decided I want to do something independently mm. I could just line up clients. Yeah. I was like, look, I can't start work until I can't start work until twenty fifth of October twenty thirteen, I think it was. Wow, he remembers. Jeez, yeah, yeah. I can remember, I remember, I've got a weird memory for dates. Um, <laughs> Me too. 25th of October, 2013, I spoke at a conference called Tide in Scarborough. That was my first day of self-employment. But for three months, the preceding three months, I could line up clients. I yeah. could give them reasonable expectations of my availability. Um, and it just gave me just lots of breathing room. Mm. And it was all above board. It wasn't like I was mm. double-crossing an employer. I wasn't playing in and off against each other. Yeah. So it gave me a, a tremendous feeling of... Plus also, and this is another very fortunate thing, if it had really hit the fan, I could have just got a, another regular job. Yeah. Like, as in, I could have gone for full-time employment. Or if it had really, really, really hit the fan, it would have been like, Mum, Dad, can I come and live with you for a while? Yeah. Get my get my act together. But, um, yeah, touch wood, it went, it went pretty well. 
Well, I think there's lots to take away out of that, Harry. There's, um, yes. you know, in terms of how you run your business, how it started, the whole lot. So thank you so much for your time going through all of that. I just want to quickly... Um, thank you for entertaining me. <laughs> I want to quickly... <laughs> Humoring me. <laughs> ...talk about um, our second sponsor, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with... with Marcus's joke because we have to our, our second sponsor <laughs> is Resource Guru um, Resource Guru is a scheduling tool used by all kinds of uh, teams from Apple Ogilvy um, Sachi and Sachi NASA you name it um, there are big people out there using uh, Resource Guru and it's an excellent tool that I've used myself in the past Resource Guru helps you to take back control of your projects um, and the result is that you end up with more productive teams which you know increases revenue etc go look just go and have a look at it for yourself visit resourceguru.io forward slash boag um you can get a 33 day free trial no need to enter a credit card they're not going to suddenly start charging you at the end if you decide that you want to um sign up and and carry on with them uh, if you use the promo code boag world 2019 you'll get 20 percent off the lifetime of your subscription um, which I think is an excellent deal. So they're, they're, you know, they're basically saying, give us a go. Um, Marcus, do you have a joke for us? I'm sorry, Harry. I'm, I'm sure you've, you, you're all too aware of the horror <laughs> that is Marcus's joke. This is actually quite a good, <laughs> this is quite a good joke well, let's hear it. because it's a, it's, it's a, a professional comedian guy called okay. Paddy Lennox. I had a look around on the, on the internet and this one made me giggle. Okay. Uh, it'll be obviously dreadfully delivered, but uh, yeah. I'll do my best. Um, I was watching the London Marathon and saw one runner dressed as a chicken and another runner dressed as an egg. And I thought, this could be interesting. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fairly poor. <laughs> um, I thought that was good. All right, another one, another one. Crime okay, in multi-storey car parks. <laughs> Crime yeah. in multi-storey car parks. It's wrong mm. on so many different levels. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. Yeah, that amuses me. <laughs> I preferred the first one. I did. <laughs> that's a that's a Pleasing low blow, Harry. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a really interesting show coming up next week. Not that this week's wasn't. He says quickly. Oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. But no, you'll understand when I say who we've got on next week. Right, I got this email out of the blue from a guy called Jonathan Pritchard who is a mentalist, right? He's a, one of these mind-reader, Darren Brown type of people, right? What? I, I know, right? Nothing <laughs> whatsoever to do with web design or digital, right? But we got into, it got into this really interesting conversation about how the kind of techniques that, that you, can, you use as a mentalist actually are, are the, similar to the kind of techniques you use as a user experience designer, so we're getting him on the show next week. I have no idea. I, I have no idea what happened. It might be a complete disaster, but it sounds like it's something a little bit different. So we'll give that a go. But for now, Harry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and uh, Please, my pleasure. Best of luck in the future, mate. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers for your time, everyone. It was good fun. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, speak to you again next week. Goodbye. Oh, God, God, God.